Welcome back to an unprecedented edition of Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast. I am Athletic College Football Editor Matt Brown, joined by Penn State writer Audrey Snyder, and podcasts have not existed for the entire history of Penn State football, but uh, nobody's ever had to talk about a 0-5 and five Penn State football team. We're How are we feeling, ones. Audrey? Yeah, I, you know, Matt, when we decided to... Uh... To give the podcast a second go around, uh, this this is not what we envisioned. No, no, having to think about this. Every week, no, <laughs> yeah, I mean, watching it at times feels like it's bad enough. Um, but if you've made it here to dear old state, then we know you must be among the diehards who are looking for answers to this season. Uh, while this season might feel very lost at this point, um, I do think there's some things that we can keep an eye on. The rest of the way. Um, I also thought this is kind of interesting, Matt, just the way the Big Ten has rolled the schedule out. It was, you know, these eight games and then that bonus ninth game. So I had a few people reach out to me uh, earlier this week with Penn State 0 and 5, and you're like, oh my God, there's four more games? We thought it was three. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, I'm sorry, but yes, there will be that ninth uh, final game of the season where the, you know, similar record, uh, whatever place team in the East would play whatever place team in the West. So, yeah, there's tentatively, if everything goes according to schedule, big if in 2020, uh, four more games to go for the 0-5 Nittany Lions. Can it get better? Because it is it is not so far, which is... Can it get know, worse, Matt? I think that's I mean, the... <laughs> I, the biggest mystery to me is, like, clearly this is not a good football team and they've had just misfortune after... Like, it's just a, yeah. a perfect storm. They've had so much bad luck. Like, there's no doubt about that. Like, mm-hmm. but it, they've also just not, you know... It, it's still there. There are no excuses for being zero and five. Uh, you know the Indiana game. You know they were literally an inch away from winning, and if that goes differently, who knows what happens the rest of the way? They, I'm sure they would not be a top ten team as they were in the preseason if they beat Indiana. But the season just after that, and after the Ohio State game, it just feels like I don't want to say they quit because that that would be unfair. But it just felt like there's nothing else to play for already. Uh, so many things have gone wrong. It's just. In these games, you don't see a full any any kind of complete game, any kind of complete no. effort. It's just the team's like completely lost and identityless and directionless, unlike you know any Penn State team I've ever seen. And it's really weird to me because it's just like you know you mentioned the the not quitting aspect of it, and it just like these games haven't even felt close. I mean, that's kind of the other part of this too. It's by the end of the game, sometimes I think that the stats, the numbers, maybe skewed a little bit, but. I mean, you even, of course, second half team, that's kind of been their thing as we saw against Nebraska. But I just, I don't know if if you're Penn State and you're one of the coaches over in the Lash building right now, you're making a big chunk of money to to coach and run this program. I don't know what you hang your hat on with this team right now, because I mean, it's all three phases. I mean, that's the other part too. Like you can't even point and say, okay, well, it's, you know, it's the offense, the coordinator, they're struggling this and that, but the defense, and we've had this conversation before Matt, both on air and off. And this defense is just, it's a mess. And this is the one group that we can say, yeah, sure. They lost Micah Parsons, but that shouldn't have been an excuse and just the big plays that they give up. I mean, every week for both sides of the ball, whether you change the quarterbacks like Penn state did this week or not, 
it's just like you're watching the same thing over and over and over. And oh, by the way, then they're going to attempt a fourth down and go for a low percentage throw and it's not going to work. And then there's going to be a head head scratching coaching decision somewhere in the game. And then maybe, you know, oh, hey, look, there's Sean Clifford. He looked really good for two throws. And then there's a pick six. And then there's a bad ball. Like, it's just there. There's so many shortcomings right now for this team, for this program that nobody could have seen this coming. Uh, 0-5, as you mentioned, first time in program history. Right now, I think the rest of these four games, it's just about how do you try to roll something out on the field that says, hey, you know what, James Franklin, I didn't lose this team. They didn't quit. Uh, Guys who have NFL aspirations, they can try to get some better film out there. But, I mean, beyond that, what are you playing for right now? That's a great question. I mean – I think back to the last time that they had a losing record was 2004. And there was something, at least that team could hang its head on. It was like just infuriating every week because they couldn't score a point, but their defense literally didn't give up more than 21 points a game in in 2004. It's like, well, this is legitimately one of the best defenses in the country. I don't know how they're a losing team, but at least there's something right now. It's like, sometimes the pass rush looks good. Um, Sometimes the cornerbacks look good. Um, you know, the receivers have made some plays. Jahan Dotson's obviously, you know, is one of the best receivers in the Big Ten. But beyond that, there's no, like, consistent, consistent, like, positive to point to. It's just bizarre. Like, it's, again, it's hard to talk about this team. It's hard to talk about, you know, any team's weaknesses, like, in this year. Like, again, it's, it's a channel minor James Franklin. It's, we're not using that as an excuse, but all of these <laughs> bad things happen. And it is true. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it's not just the, you know, restrictions and, and the lack of the offseason under, you know, new four new assistant coaches. It is true that, you know, we haven't mentioned here yet that Pat Fryermuth, you know, one of the yep. two or three best tight ends in the country is now out for the season. He's going to have shoulder or surgery on, we don't know what it is. Yeah. But, Maybe it, a shoulder. We don't, we don't really know. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it looked like in that Nebraska game, I mean, he was certainly tugging at that arm. Um, Penn State, yeah, James Franklin just said season-ending surgery, uh, which again, Matt, like, okay, we understand. You lost Micah Parsons. You don't have Journey Brown. You don't have Noah Kane. Uh, Tariq Castro-Fields didn't play for the second game in a row. Pat Fryermuth's done for the year. Like, it's we understand. Like, it's, it's really yeah. crazy. <laughs> like, we understand that your hands are tied. Devin Ford got hurt, too. So, and you know what? I you did, imagine I, saying last year they'd be playing a game without Ricky Slade, Noah Kane, Journey Brown, and Devin Ford. Like, it's insane. Just how crazy I mean, that is. Like, <laughs> you're relying right now on two freshman running backs, uh, and you don't know, and we're not sure. I don't know if Penn State will say anything this week regarding Devin Ford, but I did go back and watch it, and it was that play, it seemed to be at least along the sideline where he elevates for the ball um, early in the first quarter, comes down pretty hard, and then he wasn't back uh, the following possession on the kick return which usually he's back there uh i mean he wasn't even on the sideline in the second half so i don't know what's going on there but (laughs) kind of the other i guess the humorous part in all of this matt because we have to find some humor in this because it is such a mess everyone is clamoring for you know the backup quarterback right all year that's you know everybody wants will levis when sean clifford's in there well you got will levis and then everybody wanted taekwon roberson but you couldn't even get Roberson because he was in street clothes and was not available for this game. So, you know, who we don't even know who the quarterback is moving forward. Uh, that is just insane when you think, hey, we're going on week six. 
My guess is Sean Clifford, and honestly, that's probably who I would. I would pick think. at this point for next yeah. week. Like we we were both saying last week that okay, Will Levis should start, and I stand by that given how broken Clifford looked. But you know, Will Levis went out and completed uh, thirteen of sixteen passes, but for only one hundred and six yards. And it's just kind of clear that the staff doesn't have any faith in him. Like, yeah, he the whole thing with Will Levis is okay. He's got a big arm. He can move around. Like he can make make big throws. They didn't give him a chance except for that one awful low percentage pass on fourth down. Like, yeah, the, the they're only task- aggressive in in weird situations. Like otherwise, it's just like a really conservative offense. I understood like trying to get him some manageable throws, get him comfortable. That they did that, but then there's no threat of stretching the field. And half of the offense is quarterback draws and you have two freshman running backs. Like you're not even giving the freshman running backs a chance. Like the defense knows you're not throwing down the field and they're just playing QB draw all the time. It's either QB draw or handoff up the middle to a freshman running back. Very predictable. (laughs) Kaziah Holmes had six carries for 10 yards or for six carries for eight yards. Excuse me. Kevon Lee had uh, four carries for six yards. So that's 10 carries for 14 yards for the two freshman running backs. There's just no chance. And Will Levis and Sean Clifford combined for 21 carries. I think five of those might've technically been sacks, but you get the point. There's just, you know, the only big plays that happened were Sean Clifford hitting uh, the two big plays when he came into the game. And then it, the offense kind of two for regressed two. back to what it's been. Um, yeah, his pass efficiency rating was like 888 after two passes. Uh, <laughs> safe to say it went down and regressed, and he ended up 13 of 22, 174 yards, two touchdowns, um, pick six. The bad and, ball. You know, even brief moments of, of positivity, it just fades away because the offense has absolutely no idea what it wants to be. There's no faith in the quarterbacks. There's no creativity in the running game and the offensive line has somehow regressed and you add it all up and yeah, they have a couple, like they still have, you know, some big time recruits. Jahan Dotson, you know, is exceeding, I think even his recruiting hype, like he's the real deal and the freshman receivers step up and make a play sometimes, but there's no consistency. They had, you know, the one touchdown drive early to, Oh, look, they actually found a rhythm. And then Iowa adjusted and started dominating the line of scrimmage and that was it. Yeah, and I think, I mean, now you're going to be relying on Brenton Strange. Uh, he's going to be the guy. And Zach Kuntz, who, and I think some people had forgotten this because I a lot of people were saying, oh, we're down the top two tight ends. No, Strange was your your number two because he beat out Zach Kuntz uh, in the preseason to be Pat Fryermuth's backup. So you got Strange, who's the, you know, going to be the starting tight end now, a guy that back when he signed, they thought they found a sleeper. He was from a really small school in West Virginia, if I recall. Um, I 99% sure. I remember talking to him uh, the day of his visit, which was the day after the uh, fourth and five Ohio State game, I believe. And uh, so, I mean, this is somebody who they thought's a sleeper, like like we've seen so much at this position, kind of the oversized wide receiver who they're going to make into a tight end. Uh, so strange is that guy now, but what we saw on Saturday, I mean, he was being backed up by two true freshmen and Theo Johnson, who was one of the headliners in uh, this past recruiting class, and also classmate Tyler Warren. Uh, Tyler Warren was a guy they had no intention of playing this year. I mean, it was, hey, we got to redshirt this guy, you know, we'll see what he does down the future. Pat Frymuth had said last spring that Warren kind of reminded him a little bit of himself because he was under the radar, but was going to come in and work hard, these kinds of things. Well, here you are, you know, Saturday evening, and all three of these guys are playing. So, 
I guess, Matt, if we're trying to point to something to for fans to watch for in these games, in between throwing things at their TV, I would say, you know, keep an eye on some of these younger tight ends because we don't know. Koontz has now missed the last two games. Uh, we're not sure when he's going to be back. They said he was close last week, but he didn't play Saturday. So, you know, you've got these young guys to keep an eye on. Uh, but keep in mind, I mean, Theo Johnson was a wide receiver last year at this time in Windsor, Ontario. I mean, it's just, this is just plays. how this thing's Some going. Some positives. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, oh, no. And, and he did. I mean, back-to-back catches, Levis found him. And that was the one thing. I guess if there's one thing that I liked about this offense on Saturday, and I, there weren't many to like, but I thought it looked like, and it, it was the Theo Johnson, the back-to-back catches, they were trying to get Levis, it felt maybe into a rhythm with some short underneath passes. I liked that. I wish they would do that more often uh, because he did find Theo Johnson and they were able to move the ball a little bit and, and, you know, get that, get that one score in the first quarter. But yeah, beyond that, Matt, the offense is, you got to open it up at some point and they just didn't didn't have faith to do it. And it's like, well, what's the point of having the guy in with the big arm? You're just going to run up the middle into a, a massive bodies all the time. Like, and it just eventually it stopped working and he, there's a couple turnovers and fumbles and I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think there's a good answer at quarterback for next week. I, I think it, I'm going to guess Clifford, but we don't know. Like <laughs> I might lean toward Clifford, but I don't know. And that's just, it's I mean, quarterback had... development has been such a problem at Penn state for since a long time for a long time. I mean, yeah. Dar- they developed Daryl Clark. who was a three-star recruit and he was big 10 offensive player of the year. He, he did a nice, great job. Obviously, you know, Bill O'Brien stepped in and, and developed McGloin for sure. And then other than that, it's just Trace McSorley, who I don't want to say just Trace McSorley is one of the most successful quarterbacks in Penn state history, <laughs> but what Penn state has struggled to do is develop uh blue chip quarterbacks. I just mentioned Daryl Clark was a three-star recruit. Matt McGloin was a walk-on trace McSorley was a three-star recruit who was recruited as a safety most places. But you look at the blue chip recruits, Penn State is, oh boy. Has, has recruited a quarterback over how many years? I mean, Anthony Morelli started for two years, did not live up to the hype. Um, you know, you talk about Kevin Newsom and Paul Jones and Rob Bolden. Wow, Christian let's Hackenberg. go back in the vault, yeah. Sean Clifford now, again, he I don't want to say he's not had success because Sean Clifford, you know, led a Cotton Bowl team that finished in the top 10 and wasn't spectacular last year, but it was pretty good. Showed signs. But the development, and now it's it's regression, and it's just an ongoing theme for a team that hasn't had a quarterback. Matt McGloin is the only player quarterback who started a game in the NFL, beyond, except for Kerry Collins, since Collins was drafted. And Matt McGloin was a walk-on. So uh, just it's, it's, it's an ongoing theme from coaching staff to coaching staff. And, uh, you know, and I – Last week, I did speak with uh, Bo Pervula, the 2022 quarterback from Central York High School. Um, hey, he's know, a three-star. That, he'll probably be, he'll probably be a superstar. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was kind of as I'm talking to him, thinking, oh, you know what? He, he reminds you a lot of Trace McSorley, and uh, Central York did win, so his team will be competing for a state championship uh, in Class 6A in Pennsylvania. So if you don't want to watch uh, Penn State football, maybe you should try to go the preps route and keep an eye on him because – he is very McSorley-like, and that was one of the things I, I said to him, and he's, and he's like, you know, the first time somebody said that to me, he's like, I thought it was the greatest thing ever because <laughs> he grew up on Penn State football, and that was the point that you made, Matt, about the quarterbacks in the NFL is one that I brought up in my conversation with him, and I said, you know, like, one, are you scared off by, at this point last week, a team that's 0-4? 
Um, and he said, no, that when they hop on these Zooms with the coaching staff every other week, that they keep preaching to them that this is a young team. It's a weird year. Everything has gone wrong. Um, but I also at the point about the quarterbacks in the NFL. And he said, you know, it's, it's just really weird. Like, it's just that nobody can kind of explain it or why. Uh, but you look at Trace McSorley and the collegiate success that he had. Uh, and that's something that at least you're hoping you can get in 2022. You got 2021 quarterback Christian Veyu in the pipeline. Um, but again, I mean, so much of I think the rest of this year is figuring out what this quarterback room even looks like in 2021. Yes. Because if, you know, if Sean Clifford's your guy, well, he might have four more games to try and prove it, to put something together that gives you confidence in him leading this team next year. Uh, if Will Levis isn't your guy, what does that mean for him? Uh, do you see one of these guys end up in the transfer portal? Where does Taquan Roberson fit into this whole puzzle? Because he's the guy who we haven't seen at all yet. Uh, then you got Micah Bowens, which, you know, he's on the sideline Saturday evening. And it's like this guy was, you know, he was in high school up until June. Uh, then they couldn't even get him on campus till you know, everybody came back in the summer. So it's just, it's like, this isn't a legitimate option right now, just because he, he hasn't been here very long. Um, and he was also a quarterback that Kirk Shiraka had passed up on at Minnesota. So, you know, you always kind of tie it back to who are the quarterbacks that the OC brings in and Penn state just isn't in that position right now because of that transition. And I know several fans have asked it, um, we have not heard from either coordinator Brent Pry or Kirk Sharaka since the preseason, which is always how Penn state does it. Um, they'll James Franklin elects not to make coordinators available after games. And that to me, Matt is the one thing that makes this season so difficult or one of many, I guess, because, you know, every week it seems like we're asking Jahan Dotson about this offense and why it's struggling. And every week we're using... Well, yeah, it's weird. Every week you got to ask the best player on the offense why the offense is bad. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, and like to the kids' credits, I mean, you know, they're, they're good about it, but it's just like they shouldn't be the ones answering for it. You know, you you have adults on this staff that are making a ton of money. Uh, they should be the ones taking the heat for this offense. I mean, but it's always been this way. You can go back to fourth and five and you know, Trace McSorley has to answer for what Ricky Ronnie's calling. Like it just, it's one of those aspects of college football that makes absolutely no sense to me, but uh, I'm hoping that here at some point soon, we'll hear from Kirk Shiraka and Brent Pry to try and figure out what in the world is going on out there. And I mean, how much of this offense is blended Matt, because so much of it looks like what we've seen before, uh, which is why we thought they made this change in the first place. But the defense, I, the whole offseason or a big focal point of the offseason for them was around limiting big plays and focusing on creating more takeaways. I, I just don't know how, how in the world that went because you see, I mean, it's the same thing week after week and there's a ball coming right at Jaquan Brisker and he doesn't make the interception afterwards. It just like sums up the year. Just, they just cannot – <laughs> not yeah. make the play when they need to make the play. And and Brisker said, he said, yeah, he goes, I was surprised myself that I didn't catch it. Like, I, like, I mean, the guys, they just, so many of them don't seem to know kind of how to fix this, what's going wrong. And it, to some degree, isn't on them. This is the coaching staff that needs to be making changes, but it just seems like week after week, they keep doing the same things. You know, one positive I'll say, I, I think, again, if there's been a 
strength on defense. I don't think the like the pass rush has not been consistently great. Mm-hmm. I think the defensive ends did show up on Saturday though. Um, yeah, Shaka Jason Owe is actually tied for the team lead in tackles with Ellis Brooks right now. You know, can't seem to get a sack, but still, you know, making some plays. And Shaka Tony, who's been kind of very quiet so far this year, yeah. had had certainly his best game. Had a forced fumble, had two sacks, three tackles for loss. Um, you know, at least Isaac came up with a sack. Uh, fellow Penridge Ram, uh, Nick Tarburton, <laughs> who's making a uh, more of an impact, seen more time, and made had a couple of nice pressures out there with an increased role. So you know, we're seeing they do have bodies at defensive end. They do have talent at defensive end, and and I thought the defensive ends made some nice plays. But beyond that. It's just the linebacking core. It's weird to talk about the linebacking core just because, okay, we know it is technically three new starters. You know, the best player in the country is opted out. But I, we still thought there'd be more from the linebacking core. I mean, it's it's taking bad angles, being out of position, being slow to react. You know, and you know, I don't, I don't think they're doing the defensive tackles haven't really stood out at all either. You yeah. know, there's some big holes up the middle. The linebackers aren't there to fill it. And we know about the problems at safety and in coverage and, and not, and so it's just, there's just a big problem from front to back in the middle of the defense right now for Penn state. And they're, they're just beat physically up front. You know, I think the defensive ends have done some nice things in the pass rush, but I, I don't think the run, def, you know, the run defense has clearly taken a step back. And yeah. part of that is the linebackers that are just not up to what we thought they could be yet. And, and then you talk about, you know, again, the, the safety's being out of position as well at times. And, and just the defense looks like the least physical Penn State defense I can remember. And although they're fast and athletic, they don't look it because it looks like they're out of position and a bit a step slow to react. Yes. It looks like you're watching this defense. They're fast, but they're not playing yes. fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think part of that, when you look at so many new starters, it's like it's almost like you're. I'm sitting up in the press box, and you can see Jesse Lucetta thinking through what he's going to do. Um, like these guys just are not at that that level yet, where it's just read and react. Like you can see, it's almost like you see the wheels spinning. You know, it's yes. it's bizarre to see. Um, I mean, Brandon Smith hasn't made those splash plays that we thought he was going to. Um, again, still young guy, true sophomore former five-star recruit, but it's just, you look at it and you say, okay, what is wrong with this defense? And like so many things with this team, it's not just one or two things. It's a little bit of, Hey, these defensive tackles, like, right. Like we thought we'd see more from them. Linebacking court looks like they're slow to react. Looks like they're, you know, thinking through things mid play secondary. They're taking bad angles. Tackling has been an issue all year uh, continues to be a problem. Like it's just, every little thing that they do and it's and that to me is is where you I think where fans start to wonder okay you know has anyone lost this team or is what is this team doing because it certainly feels that way and the players have said several times on defense that they feel like they're playing like 11 individuals and not like a cohesive unit and it certainly looks it I mean Iowa just comes out. You know what you're going to get, right? It's going to be that smash mouth football with the fullback. And they just come out and ram it right down their throat. And the one uh, the one play that stands out to me is right around the goal line. Come in, the fullback. I mean, Matt, he could have led the block all the way to Belfont. I mean, it was <laughs> like there was just absolutely nothing there. I mean, guys get blown out. They're laying on their backsides. I mean, it's – I just, I don't know what you 
do to try and fix this defense at this point? Um, and, and I think one of the, I guess, scary or concerning things when you look at this is right now, the issues that we're seeing on both sides of the ball, to me, it doesn't reflect of, hey, this is just a one-year thing. It's a really weird year. To me, these are all bigger problems. This is something that I say, okay, how in the world is this team going to look in 2021? Because what is this offense if perhaps the guy who's helped himself the most this season, Jahan Dotson, if he opts to go to the NFL, we don't know what he's going to do. I'm just putting this out there. Um, if he does that, what in the world is left on your offense, right? Jason Oway projected to be, you know, the draft pick. If he leaves, what are you left with on this defense? Uh, and that to me is the concerning part because you're going to need guys this off season to grow up really, really fast, but what they're putting on film right now, I, oof, it's, it is not good at, at every level. I mean, it, and it speaks to the standards of, of Penn state too. I mean, like if you actually, if you look at the numbers, Penn state's actually fifth in the big 10 in yards per play allowed on defense, which, okay, that doesn't seem terrible, but Given up 5.36, which is their worst at this point since 2010, so worst in a in a decade, and it's just you know the standards are very 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 high on defense, and there there are times when they they look pretty good, you know mm-hmm. they played pretty well in the Indiana game overall, and you know they played well in the second half of the Maryland game, and they played well in the second half of the Nebraska game, so it's not like the you know the defense is some you know unmitigated disaster, but the standards are really high and you know, generally speaking, when the offense struggles, usually the defense is there to pick them up at least. And it's just not been the case. And they're clearly behind where they want to be, where they should be. And the other problem is just, again, it's the same problems. Like they're not, they're not fixing anything. It's insane. Like <laughs> yeah. they, they do for, for stretches, but they have not put together a whole game. And, you know, again, the defense is put in some bad positions by the just ridiculous number of turnovers by the offense. They have to defend short fields sometimes. So, you know, but add it all up and it's still, it's just, it's just clear at every level the defense is not where it should be. Yeah. Penn State's minus nine in the turnover margin this season. Um, tied with Michigan State for last in the Big Ten. Penn State was plus eight last year. So you're going from minus nine to plus eight. That is a massive swing. Uh, that, And that, to me, just speaks to both sides of the ball. Uh, I mean, you can't, and James Franklin said it after the game, he said, you know, turnovers were the story of the game and they've been the story of the season. And that, to me, is the part where it says, okay, this is a I think he's right, but I had to disagree a little bit. They were down 17 points by the time they had their second turnover. So, like, now, again, that's also including the fact that Brisker dropped an interception, so that's Mm -hmm. part of the story of the game. But... Turnovers have been a story of the season for sure, but they also don't tackle well. They also can't run the ball. The offensive line can't block and they give up busted coverages and defense. So I think there's a lot of things. It's not a winning combination. (laughs) And Matt, can can we talk about some of the fourth downs now? Can we, can we get to that? Please, by all means. (laughs) (laughs) To me, it is, it's just this weird thing right where James Franklin says that they they want to be aggressive and listen we've all watched this team we understand that the offense struggles to move the ball we understand there's points where it looks like the defense especially in first halves really can't stop people um the I I don't want to say good but the one thing about this game is that we didn't need to write about the red zone issues being a problem because Penn State only got in the red zone once 
So keep that in mind. Uh, but we did see Penn State attempt a few fourth downs. Uh, we saw them go for it on fourth and one at the Iowa 39. Uh, Will Levis was stuffed for a loss of one yard. We talk about predictability. Nobody saw that play coming. I mean, just yes. nobody could have seen that coming. <laughs> I, I leaned over to uh, Ben Jones and Mike Portman are, are to my left. And I, at the same time, we're all like, yeah, so you think Levis is going to run it? I mean, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. You know, Iowa comes back, gets a three and out. Uh, this, to me, is, is where coaching comes into question. You kind of add it to the portfolio of, of calls that James Franklin makes that you just say, hmm, this is, you know, you got to think about this. With 2.39 left in the half, uh, Penn State's moving the ball, likes to go for it on fourth and two at the Penn State 49. Again, high percentage plays. This was not. Uh, Will Levis was locked in on Jahan Dotson along the sideline. Brenton Strange and was wide open underneath, by the way. There you go. See, that's the thing. Like, we're criticizing the, the QB draw into, you know, a mm-hmm. stacked box, and Iowa's you know, defense was coming. They knew it was coming. So, okay, you are trying to do something that is different. So, okay, I give them credit for that. It's just they're not throwing downfield at all otherwise with Will Levis. It was low percentage down the sideline. It's like, I'm fine with throwing the ball there, but put Levis on the move or something. Dude, you know, yeah. like you said, strange coming open. It's just they were locked in and he wasn't open. Like, And, I mean, James Franklin was asked about that after the game, and he said his reason for going for it there, um, he said, you know, I'm doing everything I possibly can to inject, you know, some confidence and inject some momentum in that offense to try and get us going. And obviously when you don't pick it up and they're able to go down and score – you know, obviously it's a critical play. Well, yes, because that's very concerning. But then you flip it around to the other side. Iowa then goes 49 yards in 46 seconds, capped by a one-yard touchdown run, the one where I mentioned the fullback could have led the way all the way to Belfont. And then you look at it and you say, boom, right there. If you, if you punt it, maybe you pin them deep. Maybe your defense gets you a stop. Instead, now you're looking at it and you say, hmm, okay, you've dug yourself in a big hole going into the half. And oh, by the way, I believe Iowa gets the ball to start the second half. So it it warrants questioning for sure. But then you could also go to later in the game, the fourth and 17, Penn State's at its own 43-yard line. At that point, they decide that they're going to punt. You're down 13 points with 319 left in the game. Do you really think you're going to get two possessions out of that, considering as a whole how, how your defense has played? Hey, they did. They did. They got <laughs> the ball back 26 seconds later. So you're thinking, huh, okay. As much as you want to criticize, I get it, fourth and 17. What really are you going to call there? Uh, you get the ball back 26 seconds later. But as has been Penn State football this year, it didn't matter. Sean Clifford throws a pick six, and your ball game is gift-wrapped, and it's done. But I do think those those fourth down calls are worth re-examining uh, because it just to me it's like you have conflicting philosophies where you say okay yes we want to go for it um, but then later on when it's a two possession game eh, we're not going to go for it uh, I know there was also criticism earlier on in the game they didn't go for two they go for the extra point uh, miss the extra point but then they it's there's so much to unpack with this team right now that to me, it felt like fourth and 17 wasn't going to matter because I didn't feel like they were going to win this game either way. Uh, But I do understand where it's like you, it seems like you have conflicting philosophies coming from James Franklin within the same game. I think that's exactly it with the offense right now. They have no idea. Again, they have no idea what they want to be. And it's like selective aggressiveness 
at times, but there's a lot of times where anything goes wrong, they get so conservative. Again, they were conservative with Levis pretty much the whole game, except for that fourth and two throw down the sideline. And it's just, there, there's, you know, we knew in 2016, you know, Joe Moorhead, you know, they developed an identity. They were a big play offense. They took shots. They were aggressive and, you know, the Ricky Ronnie offense felt like a lesser version of the Joe Moorhead offense. And right now the Kirk Chirac offense is, is a lesser version of the Rick Ronnie off Ricky Ronnie offense, which was a lesser version of the Joe Moorhead offense and get it, you know, again, circumstances and they, you know, he wasn't able to work in person with Clifford all off season and all of that. And they lost Ernie Brown and they lost Noah Kane. Now they lost Pat Frymuth. Again, there's a million things that have gone wrong. We get that, but these, these coaches are also paid a whole lot of money to figure this out. And if they were three and two, like fans would be disappointed, but it would still be like, all right, I get it. A lot of things have gone wrong, but as it stands, they're own five. And, uh, you know, I looked, looked this up. I wrote about it as an AP voter. Um, the worst preseason top 10 team ever was uh, Illinois in 1954, which went one and eight. Uh, that's the only team that has won one game as a preseason top 10 team. That Illinois team started number uh, five, went one and eight. Actually, their first first loss of the season that knocked them out of the poll was to Penn State. <laughs> so wow. Penn State started the previous worst season by a preseason top 10 team ever. And now Full Penn circle. State <laughs> has to beat two of four against Michigan, Rutgers, Michigan State, and whoever they play from the Big Ten West to be better than that. And they have to at least win one game to tie that. Otherwise, you know, they'd be the first winless team of all time that started in the preseason top 10. So, it's yeah, historically not, not, not good. Yeah. I, <laughs> so, I did think too, Matt, uh, during the game, you had former Nittany Lion Matt Millen, of course, working with the Big Ten Network. Um, he had some interesting comments, I thought, throughout the course of the game when I was rewatching it on Sunday. And the point that he made, which is really notable um, is that he thinks this might be the worst tackling Penn state team he's ever seen. Um, Again, we talk about things that need the change that don't look like they've changed much. That's one aspect. Um, I I don't know, Matt, like what, what is the ceiling for this team the rest of the season? Will they win a game? Will they win two games? Honestly, I I don't know. Uh, I mean, you feel like at some point they have to win a game. Like, I think the ceiling is they could win three out of four. It's not like any of these teams, mm-hmm. like, I don't, I'm not saying they will, but I'm saying ceiling, like they're not playing anybody who's good. Yeah, <laughs> They're not good, but they're also not playing anybody who's good. And if one of these games, they finally like put together a competent first half, then, you know, they show flashes at least like if they're not playing from behind. So I mean, I, I guess we can move it forward now into the game, you know, the most anticipated game of the year. Oh, Unfortunately, Michigan did beat house. Rutgers in, in, in overtime. So, you know, the game isn't mm-hmm. quite as bad as it could have been. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> as uh, Yahoo's Sam Cooper pointed out, this will be the first Penn State-Michigan game ever where both teams have a losing record. Uh, Michigan, again, they pulled it out against Rutgers. But just the fact that we're saying that says a lot. So Michigan is 2-3. and three, Penn State is 0-5. Oh for some reason, this game will be on ABC. Um, it's a noon game yeah. on Saturday. We must have been very desperate for the network. I mean, I, I hate when social media like gets obsessed with TV ratings because who cares? 
but I am kind of curious because the, the, the TV rating for Saturday's game will probably be like laughably high just because Penn State <laughs> and Michigan both have two of the biggest TV audiences always. So Thanks, like, Thanksgiving weekends, yeah, pe- people are going <laughs> to tune in because, uh, yeah, I mean, it's two big programs, big fan bases, but yeah, uh, gosh, I, mm, I, I don't so, know if you should tune in, but you will. Michigan, similarly to Penn State, has had quarterback questions, and Joe Milton started against Rutgers, 5 of 12, 89 yards. They turned to Cade McNamara, who played a really good game, 27 of 36, 260 yards, four touchdowns. Seems like McNamara might be the guy, uh, but you know the, the Michigan defense has clearly not been what was expected from Michigan's uh, Michigan defense. Now they gave up 42 points and went to overtime, but uh, they gave up, I think, 35 points in regulation to Rutgers. So, again, that's – not good. Um, so can Penn State win in the big house for the first time since 2009? This would be a funny time to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just – and you still – you've Josh Gaddis on the other side, so you've got that Brent Pry-Josh Gaddis chess match again. <laughs> Two guys very familiar with one another. I, Matt, I, I still go by my normal stance, which has sadly become the norm – um, I just, I'm not picking Penn State to win a game until they show me that they at least have some signs of hope. And I didn't sense that against Iowa. I mean, the, the, the baffling thing is you look at this Penn State team on paper, it should not be this bad. It should not be a team that lost to Maryland. It should not be a team that besides week one really hasn't felt like it's been in any of these games. You know, it should not have been getting blown out as much as it did in the first half against Nebraska. Exactly. You just, you have no idea. What we saw Nebraska just go on and get, get beat down by Illinois. So that yes. kind of says about where Penn state is right now. Yeah. Like you just, you have no idea what this team's going to be when it steps out there. Um, I know James Franklin had pointed to the, the high number of false positive COVID-19 tests on Penn state both with players and staff this season, and they don't know why that is. Again, when James Franklin pounded the table to play this season, you didn't know what you were going to be in for. You didn't know how challenging it was going to be. You also didn't know that this is what your team was going to look like, how it was going to respond. I, I With so many variables at play, I just, I don't, I won't pick Penn State until they win a game. And so to me, Matt, it's like you look at Michigan and yes, in some regards, it looks like you're almost watching a carbon copy or a mirror image of this Penn State team because they too are a mess. Uh, But at least they've won some games. So I think, you know, we've at least we've seen them win games, uh, which we haven't seen Penn State do. I just it is going to be absolutely brutal probably to watch this now I feel like we say this and maybe somehow they'll defy logic and this will be like some crazy good game but it might be yeah (laughs) I think they're pretty evenly matched (laughs) yeah it's gonna be painful I think Uh, well so do we have a prediction (laughs) what do you think for this one Audrey well I think we're gonna hear a lot of TVs get shut off at some point probably early in the third quarter uh from the Penn State side because I just Unless something drastically changes this week with this team, I just expect that we're going to see more of the same. We're going to see a team that maybe goes back to Sean Clifford. Um, If I were them and if Roberson isn't available, and we don't know on that, then I would go with Sean Clifford and see what in the world you're, you're going to get. Buckle yourself in for that roller coaster ride again. But I am going to go, Matt, Michigan 28 with a big first half, Penn State... 
14. I, so more of the same. <laughs> yeah, maybe Penn State gets seven points again in the first quarter and then goes stagnant uh, and gets something late. I just, yeah, I, it's it's hard to watch right now. So Michigan opened as a three and a half point favorite. So again, Vegas is still being pretty kind to Penn State this year. Only they shouldn't be. Yeah. Have they not been watching? <laughs> and let's see, Penn State's last few trips to Ann Arbor. Now, again, this is different circumstances. Michigan has looked atrocious at home. They got destroyed by Wisconsin. They got they lost to Michigan State. Uh, so it's not like, you know, playing in the big house is some challenge this year. But Penn State's last trip to Ann Arbor, 2018, they lost 42-7. to 2016, 49-10. 2014, 18 to 13, which that's what this game sounds more like. <laughs> um, and then the last win was in 2009 when they won 35 to 10 when Penn State was you know good and Michigan was in the terrible portion of the Rich Rodriguez era. But all right, I don't know. I feel like we need everybody needs a dose of positivity. <laughs> so while I yeah. don't necessarily think that Penn State is going to win, I'll I'll provide the counterbalance. Penn go. State 20, Michigan 19. And Penn State fans would it would be a funny thing if Penn State like went now nobody would be happy with one and eight, but at least the silver lining in there would be if they, <laughs> they beat Michigan. Game, Michigan would be pretty funny ultimately, like to look back on. So <laughs> and wait, I, Matt, till I, they get I, I don't the think other they're Michigan gonna go winless. They're gonna win one of these games at least. Uh yeah. I, maybe they, maybe it's this week. Who knows? Maybe it's Michigan State on senior day. Good God, maybe that could is. be that could be a lot. Um but yeah, it's you know I think a you're lot gonna keep people... pick you're gonna keep picking against them until they win. I'm gonna pe- yep. keep picking them until they actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so eventually they're they're going to get there. Um, I just yeah, you, you've you've got this gauntlet of sorts with Michigan Rutgers and Michigan State. I mean, I you know I think it's it's kind of humorous too when you look back. We all can say, oh, you know, the tough part of the schedule is going to be Indiana, Ohio State, and then. Honestly, Matt, the way this team has played since then, I don't know how those two games weren't worse. I mean, it really, if you took the team that we saw against Maryland and the Penn State team that we saw against Nebraska and the Penn State team that we saw against Iowa and rolled that out against Ohio State and Indiana, I mean, to me, that's where it just feels like it was, hey, all bets are off. All of our goals are off the table. You know, it's it just feels like it's drastically different from Ohio state on. Um, so yeah, we're going to keep following. I'll keep writing about them, keep watching and rewatching the games. Um, we will see who Penn state makes available this week. Usually we're recording this Monday morning. Usually we know by Monday around five 30 PM Eastern. So maybe this is the week we get to hear from a coordinator because whoo boy, that would be, uh, quite quite the uh, interesting conversation i'm sure um i'm sure a lot of people will be checked out for thanksgiving this week so if you're listening to dear old state hope you have a wonderful thanksgiving uh, enjoy it as safely as possible and uh, have a lot of dessert when you settle in to watch this on saturday because i think you're going to need some sweet treats to get through that game that's wonderful advice <laughs> so <laughs> I know everybody is mad at the Penn State football team, but if you're enjoying us, please, you know, rate, review, subscribe to Dear Old State on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we are here to at least try to make some sense of what's happening. And uh, <laughs> we are doing our best, but it is certainly unprecedented. So Penn State, Michigan, the least anticipated, but still kind of intrigued to watch it game uh, 
that I could ever remember in this weird rivalry. It's kind of a rivalry. I don't know. Penn State fans, it's kind of a rivalry. Either way, Penn State, Michigan on Saturday, we will be here on Monday to attempt to make sense of it, even if it makes no sense at all, which is quite possible. So everybody enjoy your Thanksgiving and uh, please read Audrey's content again all week, as always at The Athletic. And uh, we will talk to you next Monday. (laughs) 